Dotnet Rocks episode 966 with guest Nicholas Bloomhart. Recorded live Monday, March 31st, 2014. Dotnet Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, developing the next generation of apps for touch, motion, gesture, and sensor input. Online at franklins.net. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thanks very much. Top of the week to you. It's Carl and Richard. We're here for another episode of .NET Rocks, another stellar episode of .NET Rocks. How are you, my friend? I am well, sir. Plunking along, you know, doing the thing with the thing. Good to be home for a few days. Yep. Before we uh, get busy again. Oh, it's just my, my, the rest of my spring is insane, dude. Between Dev Intersection, Tech Ed, actually going off to Nepal, going to do the Annapurna ring with my wife in between the two, get back from Tech Ed and off to Belgium. I'm doing some consulting work, going to speak at uh, Gill Clearance Tech-O-Rama. Awesome. And then NDC Oslo. Yeah. So all pretty much back to back from the, you know, the third week of April or the, on till the second week of June, I'm going to have a bunch of 24-hour flips, but that's it for me. fan Better for, for better or worse, you know, they, it's tough on the kids at times, even though they were both at college now. I was thinking actually about bringing Katie with me to, to Belgium and maybe Oslo. The dog knows you're going? Has he, has he the figured out? The dog's choked. The dog hasn't forgiven me since <laughs> from the last road trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, thank God I don't have a dog. But yeah, nothing makes you guiltier than a dog. All right, well, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. I got something cool for you today. All right, buddy, show me. What do you got? It's a very cool URL, too, de.codeplex.com. Nope, it's not developer evangelist. Is it Germany? Nope, it's Droid Explorer. Oh, my God, this is cool. A tool to manage your rooted Android device with the simplicity of Windows Explorer. Oh, wow. So you just get you now your Android device looks like a thumb drive, basically. Yep. Interesting. You got it. Droid Explorer. You know, I, I I bounce between phones. I think you know that. You've you you've been living with the Windows phone pretty well, but I have a Windows phone, I have a Nexus 4 I, and so I got forth. all three devices. Yeah. I got a I have an iPad, I have Android devices, and my primary phone is a nine twenty. Yeah. But I tell you, when you root an Android phone, if you're gonna put the energy into it as a geek we can build out our own custom phone exactly the way we want it. It's mm. no, I don't like Android the way the carriers deliver it to people. Mm. But when I put the cycles in and make it my phone, my build, mm. it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And then I get tired of taking care of it and I switch back to the Windows phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it does require <laughs> care and feeding. Yeah. It does require care and feeding. Yeah. Oh, but this is great, man. What a great tool. Nice find. It is. And I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I know you, and I know you're going to use it. <laughs> I think I might. I'm off the I'm off the Android phone right now. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm back on my my 925. I'm pretty happy. Well, it's very popular. It's had uh, almost 100,000 downloads. That's cool. Yeah. All right, man. Who's talking to us? He grabbed a comment off of show 877, and that is the one we did with Kathleen Dollard a while back. Actually, this was a Dev Teach, uh, and uh, in Toronto. Yep. And that's when she was talking about l- looking at. .NET 4.5, some of the new features that were in it that weren't async, because async sort of overwhelmed everything in 4.5. 
Everything but. Everything but, right? And he, she talked about event tracing with Windows and, and a bunch of other stuff, which I think relates to our conversation today as well. But uh, Brent Berger wrote this great comment where he actually quotes Kathleen as saying, only write the code that only you can write. And only do the logging that only you can do. Ooh. They're such powerful statements that relate to what was in most of this episode, which is don't be a plumber. Right. Let developers get down to the core of the issue, of the problem, and of the solution. I'm glad to see Microsoft and even JavaScript libraries starting to embrace this ideology, that we leverage existing solutions of people that have already solved the problem. I think we're going to do more of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And it, you know, I mean, Kathleen's been a friend of ours for so long, we forget that how much of a great computer scientist she is, too. Like, she really thinks hard about making developers work well. And, and it's always, she gets wound up and super excited about technology. It's really fun to talk about that. But she really, you know, these are great quotes. I've forgotten she said them. So thanks, Brent. Thanks for bringing that back up again. They're really great thinking. And, uh, and I'll get a .NET Rocks mug out to you right away. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS and Android. Just uh, go get them off the respective app store. Or if you go to the .NET Rocks page with your phone, go to m.netrocks.com, we'll provide you a link to the app for your device. So you could install it and uh, you get a bunch of nice features. It's a great app. That app, in fact, was built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, still releasing over 40 new courses a month and offering a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight has a wide range of topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. That brings us to our guest, Nicholas Bloomhart. Uh, Nick's adventures as a developer and consultant have taken him all around .NET, from shipping web and enterprise software to building parts of the platform with Microsoft. He might be best known for the Autofac IOC container, which is an open source project he founded, but since then he's worked on a few familiar things, including the .NET BCL and Octopus Deploy. Lately, Nick's obsession has been structured logging and the Serilog project. Welcome, Nick. Thanks. We, uh, I can't remember where it was we were talking, um, but I was overseas somewhere and we were at a party and uh, somebody, we were talking about octopus and got to get you on the show. Uh, yeah, you must have been, I think you must have been over here in the go- at the Gold Coast, somewhere like that. Um, That's a bunch of tech eds ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a bunch of tech eds ago. Uh, 2009, Richard, was that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, wow. So no, I've, I've been landlocked in Australia for at least the last um probably at least the last eighteen months. So unless you've kind of legged it all the way over this side, um, yeah, not recently, but we ought to. Yeah. Before we get into structured logging, um, we have had requests to have you on to talk about octopus because that's a, a seriously cool thing. Can you can you just briefly tell us what octopus deploy is? Yeah, uh, octopus is actually um, uh, it's probably Paul Stavelli, but would do the most justice to kind of presenting it because it was his brainchild. But um, but yeah, Octopus is a um, uh, deployment server for .NET, which sort of takes care of getting your um, 
your websites and your Windows services and other kinds of applications out of your you know, CI server all the way to production and then it manages uh, releases over time and promotion between environments, that kind of thing. So it's, um, it was a bit revolutionary to me, so I've ended up um, joining, joining Paul to work on that now. But um, it's, yeah, it's definitely taken off, um, at least in the projects that I've been working around. Well, you know, apps just keep getting more complicated, just more and more pieces of that. So do you really get sort of into a workflow model where it's you make sure you have all the right parts and where they each need to be deployed and, and how testing and acceptance actually gets done? Um, it, the workflow side of it, yeah, we don't really stress too much because, um, I don't know, organizations kind of tend to have a rough workflow, but kind of, you know, entrenching that into the tool is... Um, you know, it is often a bit of a roadblock to actually getting things done. So, you know, Octopus is very much about deploying code. Um, and it does, it, it lets you kind of, um, manage your own release workflow on top of all of that. So, um, I, I really like that sentiment, actually. Uh, it codifying workflow ends up being an obstacle. Oh, uh, yeah. Every, every time it happens with issue trackers, with anything, I find it kind of, you know, it, it's like, it's, it's perfectly okay for the day to day when everything's running fine, but when it's sort of, um, you know, six o'clock on a Friday afternoon and there's a bug in production and the guy who has to press the button, <laughs> you know, to say, <laughs> you know, he's on the phone and he's in the car and, you know, um, yeah, definitely. I think you have to trust the people that you work with. And, um, if you can't build up that trust, there's, there's more fundamental problems than what a software package can solve for you. Sure. Yeah. Not to say, of course, that, you know, you know, give everybody the keys to the kingdom, but, um, but yeah, definitely there's an element of trusting people to do the right thing. I think it was at uh, at NDC in London, Richard, that somebody, uh, a developer or a speaker, approached me and said we should talk about Octopus on the show because they were using it and it was just so such a pleasure to use. Yeah, you, you should talk about Octopus on the show, for sure. Um, but yeah, Paul would definitely be there. Yeah, we'll make a separate show on that ultimately. But it's great to know, you know, they there's so many ways to go about deployment, right? We're seeing some great stuff with GitHub tying into Azure. We did a show a little while ago with Michael Lerman on the, the in-release acquisition and the way they're doing these things. I think it's it's always valuable to get a few different viewpoints on managing deployment because it still seems to be a bugbear. Yeah. It's um, it's often like the last thing that you think about too when you're um, when you're cranking up a new project. It's a little bit like the structured logging thing. I think you you start a project and... You know, often at least in the enterprise space, your your primary kind of goals are just to to get something out the door to ship a you know to ship V1, and so anything that's kind of not really zero cost to add to the to the project early on, you have to call Yagni on that, and them and you know sometimes it's hard to make a call whether you know fully automated de- deployment or you know, different kinds of instrumentation are really worth the, the effort when you don't know if a project's actually going to see the light of day or not. So right. Well, and you're exactly right. And the first deploy is never the problem. And you're always going to struggle to get that first deploy out, make sure everything get going there. It's the second deploy that yeah. kicks your ass. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you never get to the second deploy if you don't get the first one out. So, you know, uh, that's, that's where I think, you know, um, Octopus and, and possibly some other things we're seeing at the moment are, are kind of cool like that. They don't, they don't really impose too much upfront planning. Right. Um, you know, Octopus is really about, you know, packaging things up in, and you zipped up NuGet packages, and you know you can you can use PowerShell and those kinds of you know, pretty simple tools to to get code out. And and it has a uh, extensibility points too, right? So you can tap into it with code. Yeah, um, well, it's it's really pretty open because I mean 
PowerShell love, love it or hate it um, is, is really the you know the automation language for, for Windows and um, right. and you know when you can hook in when you can hook in and kind of get access to the octopus variables and things through your PowerShell scripts. There's really not much that you can't um, script up, and I think that's part of part of why I've, I've loved working with the tool so much. It's, um, you know, it's really not that opinionated when it comes down to the crunch. It's so long as you're you know, as long as you're writing apps with a bit of consideration for, for So are you using Octopus Deploy on Serilog? Oh no, well Serilog um is, is really just a library, so you know, I've got a build server that punches stuff out to NuGet. Um, right. You don't need to do more than that. But, yeah, but I, I sort of came from the consulting world um you know, before these last few these last few gigs I spent a lot of time um working in that kind of enterprise environment. And I think once we started to do CI and kind of continuous testing, it totally changed quality. And then, um, you know, and in the last few years, that that automated deployment has just completely changed the you know, the, the dynamics of releasing code. So, you know, I I saw the light <laughs> um, yeah. on a few on a few pretty hairy enterprise projects where where being able able to actually ship code to production was a miracle. You know. Um, (laughs) it's dark man yeah well okay in the trenches out there okay so let's talk serialog so in on the on the website serialog.net you you say right up front that serialog is like other logging libraries for net in some way and it is unlike other uh net uh logging libraries and so tell us how it is like and unlike what you probably yeah, know. Well, I don't know. I think to get into the, the headspace for Serilog but you have to you have to already be kind of um aware of like the great tragedy that logging is <laughs> in a way. I don't know. It's, yeah, no kidding. You spend a lot of time I mean yeah. You you craft up these I mean, if, if you're really serious about, um, you know, managing software in production and, uh, again, in that kind of consulting world that I, that I came from, um, quite often production is a hostile place and you don't usually have access to, you know, to running software for a debugger. I mean, it's hard enough sometimes to get log files back, but, um, you know, the, the tragedy is you, you craft these, you know, very carefully thought out log statements that, Tell you exactly what's going on in your um in your application. Like Sally cancelled her order worth two hundred and fifty dollars, and you know you can see the lead up to that and everything that that happened there, or maybe the bug that actually caused the cancellation routine to kick in when it shouldn't have. Right. Know, the, the, causing the late money, but you know, uh, apart from that kind of um, apart from that kind of like uh, tracing through the flow of an app when you're looking at a log file, you know, logging otherwise is uh, pretty pretty limited thing to work with. Like I I was working on an app um that took payments for a, a financial institution and, and we got that out into into production and we wanted to see how how things were going in the first couple of weeks. And I thought wouldn't it be great just to be able to say, you know, here's here's the volume of uh, you know, the dollar value of payments coming in at different times of the day and you know get some kind of nice report out that I could pass on to the uh, the guy who was the key stakeholder in the project. And I looked at that logs and I thought, well We've already got all that information in there, and surely I don't have to write regular expressions or, you know, parse these files seriously just to get that that out. It just seems so backwards. And I mean, the, the reason text text based logging is just so successful is that up front in the you know when you're starting out on a project and you have no time and you have you know you have no budget 
writing one line of code to kind of trace what's happening in in your um, app is kind of about as much as you can afford because I mean you don't know if it's ever going to get to production. So spending you know, weeks writing these you know, carefully crafted event streams, you know, where you could where you could run that kind of analytics, um, you know, it, it just it's it wasted effort up front. Sure. So, you know, text-based logs have always sort of frustrated me in a way, but I've kept I've kept going back to them because they're so practical. And when I when I crank up Visual Studio and hit file a new project, I just want to write some text out to the console most of the time. I don't even care about a file. Um, you know, I don't really want to think about all these options for, for instrumentation. Like, you know, you can do event sourcing or you can do uh, messaging and then kind of archive off your messages as a way to get events and you know, all these other things that have really deep architectural cost. Right. Or else you can just go ahead and write some text to your log and, you know, sell it, <laughs> sell your band at a $250 order. You know, um, yeah. so, so that's always what I've done. And, um, and so then there's, there's a, uh, the, that alternative idea, um, you know, is that when your, your log events, they're, they're not necessarily text. They're kind of, um, little, little nuggets of data, like, you know, customer's name is Sally. Um, you know, the, what happened was the order was cancelled. The value of the order was $250. Um, and I came across that idea really late to the party because it's a really old idea. I mean, it's been around for, um, decades and decades. I mean, Windows 2000 introduced some tech that I'll we'll probably talk a little bit, a little bit about that has that kind of notion of logs being these kind of data payloads. Um, I didn't really open my eyes until I saw um, the semantic logging application block that came out of patents and practices. Um, and it's it's gold. It probably should have should have run alongside .NET 4.5 where a lot of work went into kind of exposing the, this um, ECW infrastructure and yeah. event um, yeah, event source stuff. But um, you know the the idea that it, that it kind of um, takes on is this structured logging idea um, where you're logging structured data instead of text. It, um, for, for me at the time, I was writing text logs already, um, and switching over to a completely different logging API and, and one that required me to write kind of schema as well as the, the messages was just, you know, a, a bit of friction that I couldn't really take on. But, you know, th- this idea, especially when we've got NoSQL data stores where you can drop in these events and, and do great things with them really stuck. So, Seri log coming back to your original <laughs> your, your original question is like a you know it's a kind of a hybrid um, it's it's a logging library that up front is just about logging um, regular formatted text the way that you do with log for net or n log um, you know you just write log dot information blah um, you know dropping a few format string parameters and then stuff gets spat out to the console and um, or to a file or wherever you want to pipe it to. But the the, the crafty idea with Serilog, and, and I, I hope um, at least one of the things people are noticing because it seems to be getting a bit more um, getting a bit more traction these days is that um, instead of actually taking all of those parameters that are going into your formatted message and, and you know making a string of text that you then pass all the way through this logging pipeline, um, Serilog just takes the parameters as objects and it serializes them depending on how you how you've um, set things up and stashes them and the format string. So you know if you've got it going to the if you've got text going to the console, then you know when it hits the console, it gets formatted out and you see you know um, cancel order two hundred fifty dollars. 
Um, and it just looks like regular old text. But mm. if you're running Mongo, MongoDB or if you're running you know, Raven or uh, something else as a, a backend for your logs that supports structured data, then those um, parameters like the value of the order and the customer's name, they, they actually tagged properties. So you don't need to do any extra work to regex them out. You can just jump straight into your log store and say, give me all order, give me all canceled orders where the value is greater than $200. You know? And, um, and it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't sound like a big thing, um, up front because, I mean, your workflow is just so, so similar. But as soon as you actually get into handling logs that are written this way, it's like, it's like night and day. And, um, you know, you kind of start to do things with your logs that you, you didn't really ever think to do before because, you know, there's there's just that friction barrier when you're working with text. Sure. And there there are really there are some there's some really awesome tools out there for handling text, like there's regex and there's all sorts of crazy log parsers and things, but I've I've never found the time personally to to take that on. Yeah, so 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 you've you've set essentially got a, a database. You know, you've got a essentially a database you're writing to a table, you know, that that's what I think of when you, when you say structured logging, you're writing data to a table. That's structured data. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that is so, so much more accessible to everything we already use for BI and we use for you know, searching and, right. you know, and else than, than text is. But I mean, it, it's not that, it's not a, a new idea and that's, um, why kind of structured logging or semantic logging is a bit uncool in a way. Mm. Uh, if you if you cross paths with anyone who's who's looked at it in the Java world or looked at it elsewhere, it's like structured logging. Look, I just I just want to write a log message. You know, I don't want to go. You know, new log event. Dot right. add property customer name. Dot add blah. Or you know, I don't want to format my log messages out of right. This. I mean, the cynic in me would say that uh, you know you the, you you log when something goes wrong. Right, and what if something goes wrong while you're making all this complex code to write to a log? You know, the log should be yeah, simple yeah. so it doesn't fail, because you've just failed. Yeah, and that's totally. why you're logging in the first totally, place. Totally. Yeah, yeah, which is which is yeah. There's there's so many interesting angles to it. I mean, you you start out and you think I'm going to write a new logging library, and and obviously people have because if you you know jump on NuGet and you look for .NET logging, there's just a pile of stuff out there. Um, and everybody's started from the same kind of points of frustration and, you know, what if it could just be this little bit different? And, it, you know, to get a production quality logging library built is a really big job because, yeah. you know, people don't tolerate any failure in logging. You right. know, if, if logging costs you one sale or one transaction or, you know, <laughs> you know, it flips the switch on one nuclear reactor, I mean, sure. you know, it, that, that's the end of it. And so there's only really a few winners that have kind of risen to the top. Um, over, over years and stuck there. Does it work well as an aspect-oriented logging uh, solution? Uh, you, you could hook that kind of. You could hook that kind of stuff in because um, it seems there, like if you have a lot the, of code, a lot of setup code, then an AOP logging solution with this might work. Take away. Yeah, I, I always used a bit of. Yeah, I've, I've used a bit of both approaches. I, I usually end up writing my own log messages just because you know I, I want to read them. Right. You know, I I can quickly scan text that reads as, as human readable kind of messages, but yeah. you know, there, there are some interesting things being done out there. There's an open source project called Fody, mm-hmm. F-O-D-Y, um, 
which is like an IL rewriter that's um, being written by a guy called Simon Crop, who I think I think is in WA, so actually not your WA, uh, uh, our WA in Australia. Right. Um, we're always we're always looking out to plug the local um the local tech down here. You should realize, <laughs> but um, but yeah, the, there's a plugin for Fody actually that will um, integrate with Serilog and um and log out you know um call reach the method you know um, call left the method that kind of aspect oriented type thing um definitely has its place yeah um with with structured logging though you're really interested a lot in business events like you 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 write diagnostic messages but at the end of the day when you actually do go out and pull out some data to send somebody a report um you're really interested in capturing all the data that you need to capture to to accurately describe something that happens in a, in a business kind of context rather than just, you know, a bunch of parameters in the method. So, um, um, yeah, I think seeing more of a crafting of, um, you know, crafting of log events uh, with the Serilog project. Isn't the real battle here, as a developer at least, just trying to figure out what is it I'm going to need to know or provide to an ops guy so that he has some idea where we were at, what the problems was when the app went wrong. I mean, nobody looks at logs when the app is working. It's when it has a problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's that's where I guess... Like, logging has this life cycle, doesn't it, where, you know, uh, the pressures are totally different because you know, when you're in development mode, you're really writing log messages for yourself when you're debugging yeah. or you know, you're working with a, with a team. Yeah, yeah, definitely throwing things over the wall into ops land is, um, you know, is another challenge again, but well, and how many times have we learned the lesson, whatever dumb log message you wrote to yourself, other people are eventually going to see it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It will come back to haunt you for sure. It always will. The, I think the the interesting trend as well that you know definitely picked up is that because apps are a lot more distributed now, um, you know, some, some organizations have moved pretty wholeheartedly to, to Azure and AWS and those kinds of cloud-based offerings. And um, you know, others that are still stuck on premises are still using a much more kind of farm-based, like um, you know, virtualized approach to infrastructure now. And so, you, you have apps running on, you know, maybe thirty or forty machines sometimes just to to process something simple. Um, especially, especially if you're using microservices and the kind of a messaging messaging architecture like with MSMQ or Rabbit or one of those things, you end up with a lot of machines involved and. It's never really clear where a bit of code is going to run to to process something. So there's a lot more central interest in centralizing logs to database type things with dashboards and right. that kind of um. Well, and I'm going to throw my IT hat on here because you know I could do that. And mm-hmm. uh, hey, System Center Operations Manager, that's where my logs go. Just write to my event, the Windows event log, so I can filter it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. Well, actually, it's pretty. It's a pretty valid approach, isn't it? No. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, I mean, and I appreciate what Siri Log's doing here. That you're minimizing the effort for me as a developer to write a really intelligent log message mm-hmm. with some real data mm-hmm. in it. You know, I mean, I like everything about that. That makes me happy. It just is it going to sh- mm. as long as it shows them the event log the right way, so I don't have to have a new log viewer on the ops side. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're using data stores that, uh, you know, have triggers that can be used, um, can have views, uh, your ops guys can be viewing these things in real time. 
In other words, you're not just writing to a file. You can be writing to something that, you know, can have a real-time uh, view in, in ops so we can be looking at it. Yeah. I, the, all those tools mean that kind of everybody's a lot more like, – log messages have become a lot more visible, you know. Um, but, I mean, Serialog doesn't take a punt either way. Um, you can write to files or you can write to JSON documents or you can write to Windows event log. Um, sure. You know, and aggregate all that, all that stuff together. But it seems like it's really – um, it's it's hard to find a one size fits all solution. So you yeah. need a bit of interoperability no matter, no matter what you're doing. Um, the the Windows event log thing is really interesting because I mean um, ETW that I mentioned before, which I think you know uh, most .NET developers have probably encountered at some point. It, it was um, introduced in Windows 2000 yeah. um, as a kind of a structured logging mechanism for drivers and, you know, OS kernel components and things like that. And this is what Kathleen Dollard was crazy about. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool piece of technology in, in that it's, um, it's incredibly powerful and high performance. And I mean, you can collect a lot of data and you can use tools like Perf, PerfMon and Perfu, you know, other great goodies to get a lot out of it. But, um, it's, it's really, um, geared towards, in my mind, and I have probably a bit of a biased opinion, but it's geared towards really high-value type um, blocks of code where, and this is is where the event source class that shipped in .NET 4.5 integrates as well, like, it's it's a schema-based structured logging system, so um, to use ETW and write an ETW message, you need to kind of decide up front, like, um, I'm going to have an event that's going to be kind of like auto-canceled. and it's always going to have a customer name argument, and it's going to have a, um, a dollar value argument, and it's going to be formatted out this way, and have these categories. And you know, um, they've got it down with .NET 4.5 event source to only a few lines of code to to set that up. Mm. But you know, if, if you're writing Visual Studio, or if you're writing a device driver, or something along those lines, where you're really carefully crafting each individual block and message because it's going to run on many machines and you know, it needs to integrate with this stuff. That's a, that's an overhead that you can stomach and you get a lot of value for that. Um, writing a web app in the enterprise or, you know, um, it's it's debatable whether or not you want to have that context switch when you write a log message. I mean, you really don't have a lot of budget up front for, for logging as it stands. You, you're writing a method that's going to you know, process some data and you want to sandwich a few log statements in there so later on you can find your way through it. But, you know, whether you really want to switch away from that task that you're doing and going go and design some methods on an event source class that you know, lays out this log event schema and then you're going to maintain those two things separately and refactor them and carry on. Well, it's, I, I think it's probably got um, a bit harder to justify in that context. Um, certainly if you've, if you've got the time and you're working on the kind of application where um, that level of planning detail is worth it, um, you know, then EDW and those tools offer a lot. But you never know in advance, right? I think this is the point you made from the very beginning. Is yeah. You have no idea if your app's actually going to get a huge amount of traction or where it's going to go. So you put a minimum effort. Why would you yeah. put effort into something that's never going to yep. amount to anything? But then suddenly it does. You know, And I think there's a transformational part here. Yeah. Yeah, your initial logging may be local on a you know in a text file so that you can look after it. But as it grows up to become an enterprise app, it needs to show up in Opsman. It needs to be ETW. And goodness knows we don't want to rewrite. Yeah, maybe. Well, I think that's the 
a failure historically of structured logging. Um, you know, it's it's a failure to kind of understand the economics of logging. Like you, you know, you have very low with text logging. It's it's perfect in that it serves your needs at development time. It's very low upfront effort, and you you know at production kind of operations time, you put you put more effort in and you get more value out. Right. Um, whereas the the traditional kind of approaches to structured logging, where you're creating like a dictionary for every every event, you know, um, it has that upfront speculative investment where I don't really know if I'm ever even going to ship this piece of code. I'll probably refactor it 20 times before it gets to QA. Um, you know, so you, you know, structured logging approaches that take more effort than, than text logs are, are pretty hard to, to get into processes, you know, into, into that development process. And so, I mean, Serilog and, you know, ETW's event source or the event source implementations definitely made a big, big improvement on the ergonomics of ETW, but. Right. Um, you know, Serilog is kind of about having your cake and eat it too, eating it too. It's like yeah. a very low upfront effort. And then, yeah, down the track, um, you know, being able to turn on that structured data and get it into, into tools that can make use of it is you know, a pretty awesome thing. Ooh, you want um, fancy? I got a switch for you. Everybody should be doing it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and so that's, that's, um, it's funny how just like wanting to see something like that happen. Um, you know, and then going and having a shot at building a logging framework. Led on, I guess, Serilog's probably about a year old now. Oh yeah. Um, or a bit, maybe a bit more than a year old, and it's been there 1.0 for quite a while. Well, and I also just poke it through here to the provided syncs. I see uh, support for Glimpse too. Yeah, Glimpse was a pretty early one. You know, it's a, another. It's a half Aussie tech. After. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's a bias the, here. I get it. There's a total bias. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's got. Serilog will log to Glimpse, it'll log to... Uh, there's not a lot, actually, that we that you can target with logging that um, isn't provided now because, you know, um, writing a writing a logging sync, so long as you're kind of extending what comes from the framework, is a pretty pretty quick and simple, like straightforward um, idea. So we log to, um, to Glimpse. I think, actually, the one thing we're missing is SQL databases. Uh, we've got Azure Table Storage, which has been super popular. Um, but, you know, SQL databases, they seem to be um, more effort than it would be worth anybody to actually submit a pull request for that kind of um, SQL-based logging. But we've got Mongo, MongoDB and CouchDB and Raven and, you know, all sorts of goodies um, going on there. And um, and also the, the centralized and centralized log server I've been working on, which is, um, which is called Seek, and it's kind of a um, it's a log server if you are writing it with structured data in mind for a start, but it's, um, uh, it's a lot younger than Serilog. Yeah. I mean, I love that you've, you've gone to the trouble to write to Windows Event Log, to MongoDB, RavenDB, and, and a bunch of other logging tools like Logly and Logger, but not SQL Server. Cause who would stick Logdale in SQL no. Server? That's an evil thing to do anyway. But it's it's been done for a long time. For a long time, you, you've been flat out a long time. <laughs> yeah, we should stop that. We should really stop that. Well, and you know, we, we were just having this conversation with some other guests. We were talking about this bad behavior that we for a long time all we had was SQL to store data. It was the only thing that was backed up. So you stuck everything in SQL Server, whether it was relational data or not. It's not the data store that makes the difference in this scenario. And it's, it's I mean. Yeah, if you've got a lot of data, writing logs to SQL Server is is crazy. Uh, 
know. Right. Um, but the nice thing, the nice thing about SQL Server, and don't like, don't quote me, or well, uh, I guess it's too late for that. You know, <laughs> is that the, the 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 tools for querying the data and getting it back out again are all there. And I mean, yeah. it might be horrible to work with the data, but I've got reporting services I can use to yeah. format stuff up, and I can easily pull that data to Excel. I can, you know. Well, and also to that point, the SQL Server already exists. It's maintained by somebody else. It has a backup plan yeah. already, and, and you have access to totally. it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you you go, you go to create another data store of any kind, even just writing a log file, a text file, you've got to go talk to IT about permission to write to disk, and that makes them yeah. grumpy. Yeah, totally. That's, yeah, you, you really want to make sure that you leave as many of those options open as you can, don't you? It's, uh, sure. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, we got boxed into this trap of stuffing stuff in a SQL server because it was the only way we had to store things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, um, in, in application development, it's, it's crazy still how, how prevalent it is. Um, yeah. you know, I spend a lot of time working in Raven, in Raven these days. And, um, you know, there, there's ups and downs for sure to, to adopting a NoSQL document oriented kind of approach. Sure. But wow, the things that are, the things that are easy to do that took backflips um, on, on SQL, SQL-based storage are just you know, mind-opening, eye-opening there. Well, I think one of the traps on the NoSQL side, and I think RavenDB and Mongo both are suspect of this, is when you don't care about reading, writing is very, very, very painless. And then yeah. one yeah. day somebody asks you to get that data back for something, you're like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah, <laughs> that's it. And that's, that's yeah, exactly. The, there's a lot of tooling that still has to has to come on those solutions. And it's, it's taking its time to get out there because they're also different. And every effort that people make to try to uh, create like the NoSQL reporting solution for you, right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's doomed to failure because, you know, I want to write key values. I'm using you know, one solution. I want to write documents. I'm using another. If I want to write log events, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's solutions for doing that that are um, much nicer to work with than Raven or, you know, or Mo- Mongo. Um, in those kind of specific scenarios, and it's like you've really got to choose the right tool for the job. Yeah, but that has serious impact on the ecosystem. It's um, it's got to be a it's a lot slower ramp up getting um, the kind of integration and tools on um, on all of these new slightly different you know, and trying to fit them all into one mold. Um, to you know, and as vendors, I'm sure will to try to to try to put these solutions on top of them. Um, and all the benefits of having like custom custom data store that's built just for the this sort of scenario that you're working on. Um, tough thing to deal with as a developer these days, you know, trying to trying to choose from that you know, mess of of different storage options. If you if you've got the luxury of actually being able to get something other than SQL Server into your um, into your data center, right? Well, and I, and I kind of like the idea mm-hmm. that you know early on in development you are going to give logging that tiny fraction of thinking. So if I jump into Serilog, I can just write it to a file and not think about it until we get close to deploy. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, do yeah. we actually want this here? Or, you know, as the app evolves, it's not that hard to change it. I mean, when, the one challenge I think you'd have then is, hey, how do I get all that old log data in that old system over to this new system? Or or even should I, for that matter? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've... I've, I've got a bit of a dim view of log archiving though too, which I mean, it's probably. That's because you're yeah. a developer and, I, and I'm an IT guy. And let me tell you the truth here. Yeah. We keep those log files to be used as evidence against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. 
That's an oldie but a goodie. It's yeah, the best archive I've ever heard of for log files for log data is probably something like HDFS, where you're really writing it out as if it's a file, you know, <laughs> and um, you just keep writing and you just keep adding boxes, uh, and yeah. um, you know, and then it's it's a pain in the backside to get the data back out again, but oh yeah, you know, you very rarely need to do that, and I think you know you probably want something. I mean, I only care about logs from the last day, week, month, you know, long enough. Uh, about about the duration that it takes for a support ticket to make its way to me from you know whoever's using using an app that's going wrong you know once you're much further past that um, I don't know I've I've kept I've kept logs really um, long term in in lots of um, situations before and very well perhaps never actually dug that far back into the, into the history. No, it's pretty rare. You know, once in a while you get a corruption event or something doesn't get detected for a few months and you want to go back to a, an old yeah. enough log to see when it actually happened. But that's pretty rare. Not the tape drive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, they're, and their density keeps... They're in the terabyte class now. You know, they're terabytes yeah, right. of storage that fit in uh, in a form of magnetic tape. It's a pretty fancy form, but it's still a form. I got my cassette player right here. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. Ha, yeah. ha. Like cassette, only a little different. Only a little different. Mm. Well, I'm I'm a believer, man. I want this. This is good. Yeah, it sounds great. This this does what I actually wanted to do. Lowers the bar for me to make sure I do my log in the first place. Write it in a way that's relatively painless. Make storage trivial when it isn't important, and when it becomes important, it's just not that hard to change it. <laughs> hey, is that a summary? You should be totally submitting them. That's it, man. <laughs> that nails it, dude. That nails it. Oh, I wish I could do as good a job of selling it as you. So yeah, what he said. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> um, what he said. Well, you can always point your potential customers to this show. There you go. Surely will, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, there's a there's a um, you know a big process with all kinds of tools getting getting adoption, and um, you know, it's, it takes a while to find via Stack Overflow. How do I how do I do X with Serilog? Right. You know, so I don't I don't see you know, Serilog Serilog going to take over the world for sure. But uh, you know, there's lots of room in the world for multiple <laughs> you know, multiple takeovers. And um, well, you can let them be wrong for a little while longer. Yeah. Um, well, we always have a migration path. I mean, that's, that's one of the funny things that you can do with Serilog, actually. Um, if you switch over your log for net logs, um, you're still writing the same format strings with zero and one and, you know, the familiar .NET format strings. Mm-hmm. Um, and Serilog just picks those up and creates properties on your log events called zero and one, you know, and two. So later on, if you do want to do a query on some, some, um, log data, you can look for a property called one that, um, you know, uh, contains your, your customer's name and you know, or match some other text in the event to track that down. You, you're kind of getting some of the benefits. Like, Serilog makes a bit of an extension to that format string mechanism and lets you name those parameters. Um, this, this is where, this is where, like, the realization we actually had to write a whole new logging library came from because I tried to graph this onto, uh, log for net being my favorite for a very long time and I, yeah. I spent a lot of time digging through the code to, See if we could do this with Log4Net rather than actually write a whole new library. But um, when it comes down to it, you know, if you want the structured data that you write to be really valuable at the other end, um, you need to allow for things like naming properties. Because you know, I want to do a search where customer name is Fred. I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to remember at zero, you know, format string parameter zero with the customer name or the right. you know, or the dollar value. So, 
know, um, but there, there is a migration path and there's definitely room for applications that, that write some log events using that classic format string idea, which, you know, is a, is a kind of a neat, um, stepping stone for ste- Stereo Log because to get into the fully, you know, the, the full ETW event source land, you're going to end up with log statements in your app that do text logging and you're going to end up with statements in your app that look completely different and do ECW logging. Um, you know, if you're starting out in the green field, that's not a big, not a big issue, but right. you know, I think, um, you know, his, historically it's definitely one of the things that I can see makes it difficult for tools like ETW that are very schema driven to, to get uptake because you've got to buy wholeheartedly into it. Whereas if you use Serialog and then you decide down the track, you, um, you know, you, you don't like it for any reason, which I um, haven't heard of yet, but, you know, I'm sure it'll happen there someday to somebody. Um, you know, you, your log statements are still just the regular old text logging that with a with a few finds and replaces, you could probably get back into the shape that um, you would need to go to log the net or, or analog. So it's not really asking you to make a really big, deep um, deep shift or a rift in your, your old code versus your new code. Um, that's, that's an important thing in frameworks to me. I, I really look hard at a framework that makes me have to, um, you know, cast off all of my existing code as legacy, you know, because uh, you know, legacy code is definitely um, not given the same kind of love as, as new code. And once you've got something in your old code base that you've you've cast out in the new, like your, you know, your MVC versus your web API. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you, you give one you give one block of code more love than the other, and you don't really want to prematurely make those decisions. Um, yeah, what about getting right down into like mobile stacks and things? I, I guess this would make a difference. It's all C sharp. If you can work at C sharp, you can make Serilog work for you. Yeah, um, it's, we support it on Windows Phone. Um, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that there are Android apps using the Xamarin tools and things that um, that ought to work in Serilog at the moment. Um, so it's it's a we we, sh- we ship two versions. One of them is a portable class library that does all of the modern .NET platforms, right. same same surface area, and you can use that from other portable class libraries. So a um, bit of a unique kind of. Of course, you know I was on the team at Microsoft for a good while, but um, that was responsible for pushing PCLs, and um, I saw all the awesome work. Well, and they finally changed the licensing for PCLs, so we could really do this. So you know, now's the time. Yeah. Now, now's the time for PCLs as well, yeah. Um, so the other, the other skew of Serilog that we ship is, um, is .NET 4. So pretty much anywhere that a PCL won't run, you can run .NET 4. So, um, again, yeah, we're not really kind of trying to force anybody into throwing, throwing out anything that they're, that they're working with today. It's a mm-hmm. pretty smooth kind of ship. Well, sounds, sounds like great stuff. Have I converted you guys? Oh, I'm totally a believer. I'm in. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, cool. All right, Nicholas, thanks very much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, good, good fun. Nice to speak to you again. All right, you too. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. 
online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a